You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Michael Cohen. It's it's been a minute. It's been a minute. I uh, this episode is about a month behind. Huge apologies for that. Um, if you uh, if if you're one of our Patreon supporters, you you no doubt have uh, uh, seen my messages over the last little bit of you know <clears throat> December was rough. I got sick. It was the holidays. Everything was the schedule was really tight, and then things kind of blew up, and because of that. It just didn't, uh, it just didn't come together. And, uh, and so it took forever. I was sick. And then my, my guest on this episode ended up being sick not long after that. So we just kind of, we just had to wait. So, um, all that said back on schedule now, um, episodes should be back in the regular four week interval, but, uh, but I appreciate everybody's patience in sticking it out and waiting for this one uh we're going to talk about scott pilgrim with steve stebbing uh national film critic for the shift with shane hewitt and co-host of tremble the horror podcast i uh, definitely go check out, out both of those things with steve steve is an awesome guy um i've known him for 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 a few years now um and uh, as we talk about uh, you'll hear in a minute that this is something that we've been wanting to do for a long time just just podcasting in general but very specifically um he was one of the first people when i when i threw out the concept of perfect 10 he was one of the first ones to jump up and say hey yeah absolutely so i so i hope that you guys really enjoy this one it's a great conversation it goes all over the place i i you know uh, it always comes back to scott pilgrim but here's the thing about a movie like scott pilgrim you cannot talk about something that is so full of homage and pastiche without ending up talking about a million other things that's just the way that it goes so um all of that i i out of the out of the way i yeah this is a great episode i really loved this conversation i hope you guys like it as well um i you know i i've got a couple of guests lined up i don't know exactly who's going to be next I think it's going to be Kyle Avery, one of my co-hosts from Rebel Cells, and we're going to talk about Rings of Power, um, the Lord of the Rings TV show uh, from Amazon Prime, um, which will be like the most current Perfect Ten. Um, but I, but yeah, I, uh, I'm really excited to talk about that. I was blown away by Rings of Power, so um, that's a cool one to get in there. I know that, uh, Marie Claire Gould from what the force also wants to come back on and talk about the movie stardust, uh, which, which absolutely hundred percent is going to be a great conversation. Um, every conversation with Marie Claire is always, uh, wonderful. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, just some, some other programming notes, uh, for those who might be interested, um, over on force perspectives, I, I, maybe even later this week as this episode posts, um, we'll have an episode about the first season of Willow, which I mention here specifically because 
guess what? Perfect 10. Uh, is the movie a perfect 10? I don't know. I, like, this is the thing. I don't think that the movie necessarily qualifies as a perfect 10 because the movie actually has a lot of issues. Um, as much as I love it and have huge nostalgia for it, it's it's even still something where I'm like, eh. The show, the show is glorious. It's amazing. Um, so I, I urge everybody to go check out Willow if you haven't already and then come over to Force Perspectives and listen to that conversation uh, that I'm going to have with Ty Black from Wit and Folly, who you guys might remember from our episode uh, about A Knight's Tale. Um, so that's going to be a great one uh, over there. And, uh, and, and this is our first episode since we come back full force. Uh, Rebel Cells is publishing every week uh, for new episodes of Bad Batch. So make sure that you're subscribed over there if you want to if you wanna hear about the latest Star Wars animation stuff, um, as well as, you know, just gen- generally some thoughts about Star Wars. We talked about the Mando trailer and that sort of thing. Which brings me to my last piece of programming, uh, update, uh, news, whatever, uh, which is that uh, the, the most recent episode of Off the Record, our Patreon-exclusive podcast, which is just me, talking uh at you guys in a very similar fashion to this um it just posted last week and uh and it was all about uh my impressions of the first episode of the last of us as well as some thoughts on the mandalorian season three trailer and sort of where mando is going and all that sort of stuff so it's just a it's a it, the episode is just about pedro pascal and how amazing he is um I, which you can get over at patreon.com slash thunderquack uh, at the five dollar level and up so um that's it for me on this and i i yeah i j- just check out a really great episode talking about scott pilgrim one of my favorite movies of the last uh, few years i mean man it's been a long time actually since scott pilgrim came out so um as i always say without further ado let's let's get into it with steve stebbing talking about scott pilgrim versus the world Okay, let's let's dive right in. Uh, I've got my my guest on this episode, Steve Stebbing, national film critic for The Shift with Shane Hewitt and co-host of Tremble the Horror Podcast, here to talk about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Uh Steve, it's awesome to have you on this. We we've, we've been talking about doing this for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, podcasting in general i think like you know the first the first couple of times that that we met it was like oh we both podcast we should podcast absolutely Um, and then i started perfect 10 and i was like hey who wants to come be on perfect 10 and you were one of the people that jumped up and was like absolutely let's let's do it so um so this has been a this has been a while in the making especially because of the delays (laughs) of of, uh, (laughs) recording um but uh, but it's so awesome to finally have you on the show i i'm i'm super grateful to be on the show and i think um funny enough i think that when you were coming up with this idea for this podcast i think Mm -hmm. you i think you you uh came to me and we bounced a couple ideas so i it's just uh 
it, it, it's very cool to actually do the show um of course you know life gets in the way and, and delays things and yeah. uh and the holiday season and getting covid or whatever goes on <laughs> um yeah. it makes it it makes it uh more interesting but i i mean ever since you asked me to do the show and i was like i think i got back to you with my answer of like what i wanted to do within like minutes i was like wow it's just kind of like a no-brainer it it's so funny it's this has been like the recurring thing of of uh every time that i that i pitch the show to somebody and say hey do you want to come on it's like they are they instantly have something that jumps to mind which is why i know that like the the concept is a solid concept right um because because people are just like they're so quick to be like you go like what's your perfect 10 like what's your perfect 10 movie tv show video game whatever and uh and and people will just be like oh yeah this for sure right everybody's got like two or three things that they'll just that they can just jump right right into it with um and especially like you know we're 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 geeks we're nerds we're mm-hmm. we're uh the hardcore fanatics right so i uh, i uh, even more so i think than the average bear uh <laughs> we can just jump right in um and and you said scott pilgrim and i was like hell yes hell yes <laughs> let's do it um yeah man uh let's let's like no no ado whatsoever let's get right into the meat of it i'm gonna ask you the first question what the heck is scott pilgrim explain it for us what what, scott pilgrim versus the world specifically well first we must travel to the magical land of toronto (laughs) yeah our setting and uh basically uh our main is scott pilgrim the title character a young 20 something um who is dating a high schooler probably not the greatest uh the greatest boyfriend he's just kind of very aloof in his own little world uh until he comes across ramona flowers who appears to him in a dream and in reality and he becomes instantly infatuated uh but there is a catch to dating miss flowers and that is he must defeat all of her seven evil exes in order to have the full control over her heart and uh, I mean, this movie is a love letter to everything, everything nerdy. I mean, with video game references, mm-hmm. um, there's just there's so much depth to it. Um, and uh, what really makes me laugh is is um, I had a conversation on Twitter a few months ago with a friend and uh, he basically said that Michael Sarah plays Michael Sarah in pretty much every role. Mm-hmm. And I very I, I'm very adamant that Scott Pilgrim is not the awkward nerd that he usually plays because Scott believes he is cool. He believes he is <laughs> yeah. the guy and that there is such a difference to that in his portrayal of this character. Um, I think that separates it from everything else that he's done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, people would know uh, Michael Sarah from you know Super Bad, from Arrested Development, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, usually those characters are very like down on themselves. Yeah. Um, but Scott has this sort of aloof, uh, uh, goofiness to him that's like 
I I don't know. There's like there's it's like he's very earnest. It's very sincere and genuine. He's there's not like a, a false bone in his body kind of thing. And he's a, he's a little bit more. I would say like like of uh, he is the most heroic of any of the characters that Michael Sarah has played for sure. Absolutely. Um, and not in the sense that like he's good at fighting, but just in the sense of like he's kind of just got this this um, attitude to him that is you know he's the protagonist he like he's your he's a classic protagonist but he's also this sort of like failure to launch arrested development i mm-hmm. i 20 something who i you know uh, uh, you know man child i uh, uh whatever i i sort of thing um and and yeah it i i he just he just he captured it so perfectly you know i mean like like the the character in the in the comic that it's adapted from is uh just sort of exactly that like he's just a sort of sort of aloof i uh, i but at the same time like like actually kind of cool and competent person mm-hmm. he's just uh he's got this trauma that's holding him back Right. He's a he's a he's your he's your classic underachiever. I think that's probably the best way to sum it up. Right. Oh, totally. And 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 it's funny because, uh, I mean, they set up very quickly that, I mean, Scott's coolness is not only just in his own mind. Uh, his uh, knives is infatuated with them, like absolutely yeah. infatuated with them, just like so excited that he would let her into into his life. And and not even like like pumped about the stature or anything, but just like I I mean he she's just like just drools all of, uh, over him and like it, it's so evident. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And even if you look at a character like um young Neil, young Neil wants to be Scott. There's so many different moments in the movie where he's mirroring him and stuff, and it's it's just. Like I, the the there's nothing subtle about um, people's reactions to him. My favorite thing is that Scott is I won't, I won't say reductive, but he ignores the negative elements that are around him. Yeah, and it's a consistent. It's consistent even up into the end moment. Like he is just maybe he's the world's most positive person because he's just able to just like not care about anything that's going to be detrimental. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's put him and Ted Lasso in the same room and see what happens, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. And, 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 and let's throw in Kenneth from, uh, from 30 rock. You know? Oh my God. I, I, I think, I think, it, you know, like the, they, they, they might actually solve all of the world's problems. If that's... we could put those three fictional characters in the same place. I'm um, trying to think of Kenneth's stepfather now, just as long as you don't invite <laughs> Oh, what the hell is his name? I just totally messed that one up. But yeah, I, yeah. that's that's an incredible trio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just I, I, yeah, just these like sort of um, I, unstoppable optimists, right? Um, even even when everybody around him tells him that he's a loser and that he's <laughs> he can't do anything, he's like he uh, he he still manages to overcome all of that and just kind of it's it is it is almost like that that. Um, that stupidity that sort of like blind ignorance uh, in the face of like um other people telling him that he can't do it it's the fact that he doesn't think that he can't do it that allows him to do the things that he does right um 
and he's actually not that dumb of a character as much as he appears to be dumb on the surface. Um, Cause as we go through it, it's like th- there, there are moments where, I mean like defeating Lucas Lee, he, mm-hmm. he knows that he's outclassed physically. So he, so he tricks him, right? Like he's a, he, he is a clever character, but um, yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. Cause, cause I, I know that they, a lot of people who've seen the movie have probably not read the comic. Um, I, I was obsessed with the comic mm-hmm. before the movie was even happening. Um, this is back when I was, I was, I was working in a comic book store and I, I started reading it and was like, this is, this, I, it, it was very much one of those things. Cause I, it, it hit me at exactly the right time. I was in my twenties and, uh, and it was like, this is, this is my life. Like this, this is, this is what <laughs> life is like right now. Only like minus the, the, you know, uh, anime battles and video game reference, uh, like direct <laughs> video game references in, in, in reality. Right. Um, so it was like, it, it was, it was something that, that just like it resonated so deeply with me and, and sort of, sort of my cohort at the time, right. The, the people that I was hanging out with, um, and then we found out that the movie was happening. It was like, oh my God, I can't believe they're <laughs> going to make this into a movie. And then you find out that Edgar Wright is directing and mm-hmm. it's like, like Edgar Wright, like, like, you know, uh, Shaun of the Dead and, and Hot Fuzz, like that guy. I, I, and I, and it was like, yeah, like, the, okay, this will be really cool. And then like that first trailer, it like, it, it blew everybody's mind. Um, yeah. That, that he had just nailed this aesthetic taking it from from the page where it's like it's something that works so well as a comic um the the word bubbles and 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 like the the sorry word art more more so and the the video game overlays and stuff like that it's all directly from the comics um and then you know you see it on on screen you see these motion graphics i mean at the time nobody had done that right like there had been a few things where you know like there uh, yeah, ang lee had definitely done his idea of what a comic <laughs> book on screen would look like um uh, for better I, or for worse yeah I, yeah no there are i mean things hey, i like in it oh for sure and and it's and 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 that's the that's the funny period of comic book movies mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm, when we look sure. back at that it's like you had sort of i i the comic book movie died with Batman and Robin and it took, and it took a couple of years blade comes out and reinvents what a superhero movie can be. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and then you've got X-Men and Spider-Man that come very soon after that, like hot on the heels of that conceptually. Um, and suddenly everything is black and leather and chrome and, and looking, looking that like, we all know what that look was uh, in in the late nineties, early two thousands. Right. Um, but then there was that weird transition period of like, okay, we've done X-Men and Spider-Man, right? Superman and Batman sort of belong to the period before this. Um, but what's, what, you know, like what's going to be the next thing? How are we going to, how are we going to put, like keep pushing this comic book thing forward? And, mm-hmm. and there were a few things that like tried to do it. And, and yeah, that Angley Hulk was one of them where it was like, I mean, Angley was, he was trying to use conceptually what the medium is and bring mm-hmm. it 
to the screen of like like sequential art the panels all of that stuff and there's some cool ideas in there but uh, but ultimately that movie that movie fails on 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 other uh, aspects yes. not, not those Agreed. ones right yes. um but <laughs> i but but then you know with everything like the x-men movies just kind of kept trotting on the spider-man movies kept like iterating right um un- until they killed themselves I uh, and uh, with their th- both of them with the third movie, I uh, so hard it's so hard to end a, a trilogy. It's so difficult. Yes, um, <laughs> but totally I, agreed. I, but but then like around this time period, we get Iron Man, we get Scott Pilgrim, we get I I I mean the Dark Knight. I uh, like there's there's sort of like this moment where all of a sudden everything kind of shifts but you we have the dark knight it's like very close to this time period right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think um, it's dark knight dark knight rises right yeah yeah and um i everybody's like eating that up right and mm-hmm. that's why that's why x-men and and spider-man ended up sort of they didn't flop they were both huge financial successes but um but critically and they kind of killed those franchises for a minute right um because they kept doing this sort of campy cheesy uh superhero thing that they'd been doing and then the dark knight was like here's a real thing and then iron man comes out and takes like dark knight's heightened gritty reality and goes "No, no no we don't need to do that and we also don't need to do the campy x-men or spider-man thing like we can just like straight down the middle of this and like mm-hmm. like it's just let's just what if iron man was real straight up that's it what if iron man was real right um and then uh, like it uh, almost like like the opposite reaction to that was scott pilgrim coming out and going like but what if the comic book was the comic book <laughs> right <laughs> like like what if the movie just was the page brought to life in a very real sense um and I mean, like so much of that is owed to 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 Brian Lee O'Malley and and his uh, uh, his vision, uh, and 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 his voice, like like the 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 way that the characters spoke was very like of the time. It was very mm-hmm. um, stylistic. I like the dialogue was very stylistic, and and to me, like above all as much as the motion graphics and the 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 fight choreography um, and the the special effects are all on point and the music is right there with it. Um, the, the dialogue and the performances are where this movie finds its voice. Cause that other stuff is like window dressing, but mm-hmm. the way, the way that these characters deliver dialogue in anyone else's hands other than Edgar, right? I just don't know if I just don't know if it would work because he is, obviously a master of dialogue right i mean yes his his, the cornetto trilogy is full of some of the best one-liners and sort of like monologue moments and like back and forth like perfect comedic timing he just he has such a good sense for that stuff and understood what was on the page who to cast so important and Mm. and like where where to push it where to pull it back right in order, in order to make it translate to the screen. And it just, yeah, it's, it is. I, for my money, having just rewatched it earlier today in order to prepare for this podcast, for my money, it is probably the truest comic book adaptation yet. I don't, I just don't know if anything else like nails 
the feeling of reading that comic uh, in in the same way. And it's it's hard because mm-hmm. Iron Man has so many different writers over the years right so it's like which version are you going for are you going for a blend of things batman it's like okay what version of batman are we talking about which one like what's the truest adaptation of batman that's impossible mm-hmm. to to nail down because batman is so all over the place right so like and that really goes for any of these characters that have you know 70 year histories with multiple creators and yeah all of that stuff but because because scott pilgrim is writer artist and you know i i mean like oni press did not really mess with the formula too much um uh they they just kind of let him do his thing uh and it's uh it, so it had it it has a voice it has a very distinct mm-hmm. voice i mean it's it it's funny it's 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 not an indie comic because oni is a pretty big publisher even even at the time when the first one came out um, they, they weren't obviously not one of the big three. Right. But, but still, still pretty sizable publisher. Um, but it does still have that indie vibe to it. Right. Like it still has that small press sort of vibe to it. So like, Absolutely. like that's all the stuff it's, it's all got to come through in the movie. And, and to me, like it, it does, right. Like that's, oh, for sure. that, that's, that's where this shines the most. Uh, like certainly the, the casting is, is I think the biggest piece of that. Um, there isn't a character in this that you're like, I don't know. Well, the, 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 the twins, the, the twins are kind of flat, but they don't really, <laughs> that's also just the way that it's written. They don't get an opportunity. They yeah. don't even speak. Right. Yeah, but exactly. I, um, but other than that, it's like, like all of the other X's, I, I, it's, it's all so pitch perfect. I just always go back to Lucas Lee. I was kind of, I was kind of watching through the movie and going like, yeah, okay. I mean, I've seen this movie. I don't even know how many times we were both saying that we both lost (laughs) Um, a long time ago. Right. (laughs) I've just watched this movie so many times. I, and then, you know, and I was kind of going like, I got to, I got I, I to watch this. I have to be, it has to be fresh so that I can talk <laughs> about all this stuff. But I wasn't really feeling it that much. I was like, it's, it's fun, but whatever, you know, this is very like, you know, uh, uh, late 2000, late, 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 or I guess early 2010s sort of vibe, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. 2010. Yeah. And I, I, and, and then lucas lee shows up chris evans shows up as lucas lee and and from that moment forward i was like oh i'm i'm all in i'm i'm back like you got me like he is but that's that's chris evans i mean like the dude you can put him in anything you can make him any character good cool down spray on his knuckles the cool down spray after he punches scott and he just holds his hand up and the pa comes and sprays his knuckles yeah and the the, when he's when he's walking away reading the text and he laughs at it and he <laughs> keeps walking, he goes, that's, that, that's actually hilarious. And the way that he says hilarious, it's like, it's just, <laughs> he, he's, he's, he's almost wasted in the MCU as Captain America, except for the fact that Cap does have some really good, funny moments. Yes. Um, and, and Chris Evans, like, like is, is the right guy for the job with those, but like, it's one of those things where that character is is so the straight man that it's like anytime you get to see him be 
off the wall, especially in his earlier stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He was such, he was such a, 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 a comedic performer, uh, like comedic action performer uh, in, in his early stuff that it's like, yeah, I, I just, I love his, his scenes so much. He's so good. So, I, so good. I would say there's also a little tiny bits of Lucas Lee in his knives out performance. Yeah. Um, and recently in the gray man, there is a little bit of Lucas Lee to that role as well. I haven't watched that yet. It's, it's, it's I, not great. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but it, I mean, it's just a brainless action movie with Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. So I mean, take it as it is. It's the <laughs> Russos doing something that's not MCU connected. Yeah. Um, let, let, I just want to run down this. We're kind of getting into the behind the scenes stuff now, right? But I want to mm-hmm. run down this cast because this is this is <laughs> yeah. insane. Heavy hitters, even at man. the even at the time, there these some of these people were were becoming pretty big names, but now they are like some of these people are like massive, right? So you've mm-hmm. got Michael Sarah uh, mm-hmm. at the height of his game, right? Like this is a, sure. this is the most popular that Michael Sarah ever got. Um, I Kieran Culkin. Uh, delivering a, a, a pitch perfect performance as Wallace Wells. I I want Wallace Wells as a friend. Like I just yeah. I want yeah. that character in my life. And I mean, yeah, if we're talking now with Kieran Culkin, Succession is just killing it. Um, yeah, yeah and, and exactly. he's a big reason why it's incredible. So yeah, uh, Anna Kendrick. Before anybody really knew who Ooh. Anna Kendrick was, she was. Yeah. It's like that. Hey, I've seen her in a few things, mm-hmm. but you didn't. She hadn't really headlined anything just yet. Is that um, the girl from Twilight? <laughs> <laughs> Bingo. Um, Allison Pill. Ooh, I, I, now in Star Trek. Yeah. Picard. I, I, and and uh, prior to this, uh, Six Feet Under, right? Uh, that's sort of, I think, how, mo- how a lot of people came to know her. Mm-hmm. Um, Aubrey Plaza. Again, like like this is this is right in the middle of sort of Parks and Rec uh, mm-hmm. zone, mm-hmm. so it's like everybody was kind of becoming aware of Aubrey Plaza, but um, I, she hadn't she hadn't quite blown up yet. Well, yeah. and and now, I mean, if we're talking twenty twenty two, she she gave one of my favorite performances of twenty twenty two with Emily the Criminal, yep. um, and and she with Black Bear and Emily the Criminal, she's making this shift into drama that is just mm. she's wearing it like a glove, like it's it, it's pretty. She she's got such, and it's crazy to say, oh, she's got a bright future because she's been around for for yeah. well over a decade doing great work but this is the change from that april ludgate deadpan to yeah. something real special yeah yeah she's she's a massive talent and and mm-hmm. like yeah the sky's the limit for her um mary was elizabeth winstead uh, as ramona flowers right um oh boy i i mean like look uh fargo she's awesome i mm-hmm. uh, um 10 Cloverfield Lane, right? Like, yeah. like there, we get, we get list off a million things that Mary Elizabeth Winstead's you, been in. She, yeah. she's going to be in, in Ahsoka, um, later this year. So she's making her way into star Wars, yep. uh, which is exciting. Very deserving. So, yeah. Yeah. Honestly, she's a casting that if you put her into something, I'm like, yeah, I want to see that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw the assassin movie. She did Kate. It was a Netflix original, no, uh, where she's that. an assassin that gets poisoned and she's kind of like looking for the antidote and killing everybody in her path. Cool film. Definitely a cool, cool. film. Um, Jason Schwartzman. What happened oh. to that guy? Where'd he go? Oh uh, boy. He, uh, he's, he's, he's in it. He's in every Wes Anderson movie. 
Yeah. <laughs> he ha- he's a musician that did uh, that his group is called Coconut uh, Coconut Records. That's uh I, I mean he he's a jack of all trades. Yeah. Uh he has an absolutely I think criminally underrated HBO series called Bored to Death, which he did with yes. Zach Galifianakis and Ted Danson. Um Jason Schwartzman is he's a troubadour of a man. He really yeah. is. Yeah. Su- such an such an acquired taste, I think. I yeah, I, I, I would th- say I so. think that's kind of, that's kind of his Achilles heel, is that it's like you really gotta you really gotta be into that specific zone of yeah, well, performer. Well, and I I came from like my first experience of Jason Schwartzman is when Rushmore came out in the 90s. And so maybe the fact that a Wes Anderson, like a Wes Anderson film was kind of my conduit into looking at his work kind of burgeoned him in my mind. Like every time I see him, I was like, oh, yes. Like I was like, I'm like really excited to see him and stuff. So, um yeah, and I mean, what a plum roll with Gideon Graves. Like, really, what a plum roll for this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we've got uh, Johnny Simmons as young Neil. I, I, so just our our shadow of Scott. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Michael Sarah or um, Neil Young. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark Webber as Stephen Stills giving like just a brilliant comedic performance in this movie. Just and like um, manic, so like yeah. hilariously manic in so yeah. many points. We need to like just like, just so there's such a, a an energy about him. There's a chill energy to him. There's like this nervous, are we cool energy, and then there's like we gotta play energy. <laughs> like yeah, I I I love his performance, and it's really funny that he's Stephen Stills in this one because there's such a CSNY connection into this this movie that's really mm-hmm. funny, and and so like so Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I uh, I and then and then sort of rounding out the main cast is Ellen Wong as Knives Chow, who like had not really been in. I mean, like she's been in a lot of stuff since this, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. nothing nothing really that like sort of uh, on the radar. Except like I'll I'll just point out she was in Glow, um, yes. Which like man, what a tragedy that that series did not get to finish. I know. I'm so bummed, especially with the the third season ending. Was it the third season where they're in Vegas? Yeah, it was the third the third yeah. season. Ending the way it is. But um I will say that Ellen is a, a just an absolute sweetheart. I've had the pleasure of podcasting her with her uh years ago. Um, because uh she was on a spin-off series of this of Sex in the City called The Carrie Diaries for CHCW, yeah. um, which also happened to star my friend Katie Finley um and uh kind of roped ellen into a podcast through uh over skype at the time skype no zoom it was skype <laughs> just to kind of, to kind of show the the age um and she's awesome like i i really like ellen and um yeah she's she's just brings this um absolute joy to knives chow and honestly she might be the 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 most perfect representation from page to screen in this movie yeah she's she's pretty spot on right um and then and then you know we've got the 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 evil exes right <laughs> i i see this the first guy uh satya baba i has yeah, matthew patel yeah matthew patel i don't know if he's really been in much else um I, 
yeah, I don't know. Sense eight. Yeah, he was in Sense Eight. I, I never actually worked my way through it. I do want to because I know there's such a there was a, I, such a rabid fan base for it. I I I overlooked Sense Eight because at the time I was like I was in that mindset of like the Matrix sequels were not good movies. Um, and, uh, I, and obviously sense eight, uh, being like the Wachowski connection mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, no, I'm not going to like this. And then I went back because of resurrection. Yeah, I went back and, I and rewatched, <laughs> I rewatched the other, the, the original movie and then the, the two sequels. And I watched them with all of the context and understanding of, um, what those stories are actually about, mm-hmm. <laughs> not what we thought that they were about in 1999 sure. and forward, but what they're actually about. Um, and sort of like, like the, 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 the transformative uh, mind versus body, inner self versus outer yeah. self yeah. Uh, uh, stuff. That's all there with the Wachowskis and, and their transition and everything. Right. Um, so I'll just, I'll just say I was go, jaded go from, and, uh, from yeah. Ju- Jupiter ascending as I was jaded from. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like Jupiter ascending is one of those ones where it's like I there it's no defending Jupiter ascending, right? Like no. there's some really cool stuff in that movie, but is it a good movie? Far from it. Far yeah, from no. it, right? You have a you have a dog but, boy rollerblading in the sky. So I yeah, don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But but I de- like I went back and I rewatched those the all three of the Matrix movies in advance of of Resurrection and like it was like the scales fell from my eyes and I saw it for what it was for the first time. And watching through those now, it's like, I actually think those four movies, like they're, they're actually pretty perfect there. The problem is that the sequels are not what people wanted them to be. Yeah. And being a star Wars fan, I know all about that. I know the prequels, <laughs> the prequels get all sorts of flack for not being more, of what the original trilogy was mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. but if you take them for what they actually are then they're then they're actually really really great movies um they're not without flaws don't get me wrong but that's because george lucas has to always like push the envelope when it comes to the tech the wachowskis were very similar like the fight scenes yeah. in the second matrix movie is like eh, but that it's because they were pushing that tech as far as they could push it. Right. So, um, so I do, I want to go back and, and, and check out sensei. It's just one of those things of like content is now a, a, a constant churn. It's always, there's always something new coming out. So if you yeah, miss exactly. something, you're, you're just getting pummeled by the waves. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as a reviewer, I totally get it because, um, my outlet always wants me to, you know, cover television as well. And I'm just like mm-hmm. constant tear back and forth of trying to, um appease that um as well as like um catch up on stuff that um that i missed like like i mean i'm watching expanse right now i'm only midway through the series but everyone was raving about it years well it's years ago but it's over now and so it's like i'm perpetually playing catch up so yeah Yeah, i i totally feel that pain i feel that pain um, continuing on, we got obviously Chris Evans as Lucas Lee. Well, like we already talked about that. Yeah. Um, uh, Brie Larson, <laughs> Captain America and Captain Marvel in the same movie. And this uh, was before I knew her, honestly. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if because because room was really the the thing that really pushed her to the forefront for me. And yeah. that was years after after this movie. But I, I think when I saw her in that trailer, I was like, oh, shit, that's Envy. Like, yeah. I, I, I knew. But I mean, oh boy, yeah, like, what, a, I mean, what a good casting for someone that's like 
the soul-crushing ex-girlfriend the one that <laughs> kind of like stunted you as a human being like that's a that's damn good casting yes um i mean this is even i think this is even before she shows up in community i because I, I think that's i think mm-hmm. her first yeah, in community is season three right so yeah um yeah, like, like, yeah, like totally, totally unknown at this point. And also just like visually because of because of the wig and everything like it like visually very different from her usual appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, I but she kills it on that track. Oh, oh my God. It's like that's a song that's like in my regular rotation it's... and not the not the the I don't remember. Is it metric? I think it's metric. Yeah. Yeah. Um, her version and, and it just got re-released like last year. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. like they, they, they released like the full, full version of it remastered, like, like in, in high quality. Um, I, which I think it was only previously available on like the special edition soundtrack or something like that, which like wasn't on any of the, the, um, streaming, platforms it wasn't on like apple music or spotify or anything so they mm-hmm. released it on those platforms for the first time like last year and it made it back into into my regular rotation for a solid like eight or nine months it was like it was popping up on the regular because it's so good she just like destroys it um and then she her performance is also awesome yeah. i i so we continue so like that we got chris evans captain america brie larson captain marvel and then we've yep. also got brandon routh superman himself superman yeah exactly as todd ingram the the vegan bass player yeah who can fly um yeah <laughs> i my favorite thing about about todd's character and this is like directly from the comics is like the dragon ball yes. reference of it that like he's he's <laughs> He's a vegan. It's like 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 Saiyan, right? Yeah, like yeah, like exactly. that was the joke is that he's like a Saiyan, so his hair goes up and everything, and it's uh yeah hilarious. Um, I and and one of my absolute favorite moments in the movie when Thomas Jane. Ah uh, yes, I, I was just gonna bring that up. Oh man, who's who's the other? Clifton actor? Collins Jr., who actually follows yes, me Clifton. on Twitter. Not to I I <laughs> such, I love him like. Oh my God, he's in Pacific Rim. Oh, yes, dude. he's so good in Pacific. In, oh my God, the, when the two of them bust in, it, the, all that stuff is great. All of the like the line, their lines and delivery are are perfect. The moment that I love the most is after Scott headbutts him and he turns into coins. It goes into like slow motion as they exit the scene. They go back through the hole that they busted in the wall and they just they hop over it. And as they do, they high five and and they're like, yeah. And it's just it's so like it's like read the room, guys. Like, like like this is this is actually like a really intense moment for everybody else. But they're just like they're just like, that was awesome. It's just it's such a like throwaway gag moment. But it's such a it's such a great. It's well, such a great gag. Because Envy after is like, you headbutted my boyfriend and he turned into coins. Yeah. Like she's like heartbroken. But like the scene preceding it, like when he gets found out that he's not vegan, it's like chicken yeah. parm isn't vegan. Gelato's yeah. not vegan. It's like milk and eggs, bitch. It's, just, <laughs> it's so good. It's oh, so it's good. so fucking great. Oh, sorry. Um, No, it's all good. <laughs> I, I, may whitman i again the, an- another another performer like sort of right in the in the height of of her moment there uh, she, arrested development connection yeah. with uh, michael sarah because she played egg yeah. i mean Anne. 
<laughs> uh yes <laughs> and she's great she's so great in this like it, it, her that moment when i talk about the the dialogue if there's ever like a, a if i needed to like call out a specific line delivery of like nailing the the brian Lee O'Malley like dialogue and and sort of like the cadence of his stuff is when she's like next time i'll be deadly serious next time and like we're, and, and then he's like what and he's like shut up right because it's like the it's the 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 awkward um that awkward like young like early 20s attitude of like yep pretending that you're hardcore or that you're intellectual or like, like uh, it's just like, I think that's very much like a millennial, even a gen X sort of uh, perspective is, is like we all thought when we were in our early twenties that we were like so sophisticated and so Mm -hmm. mature. And so, and now you look back at it in your, my instance, my late thirties, I, I am very closely approaching forties. I looking back at that and going like, wow, what an absolute loser I was. And like the things that I was doing that I thought were cool were not the cool things. I, I, and, and yeah, like it's, it just sort of captures that attitude, which is what he was going for in the comic Mm-hmm. And her her delivery of that di- of that dialogue is so so pitch perfect, um, I, and just the, the 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 way that she sort of stumbles over this like I already said next time, <laughs> um, it's so so good. I love it. I love it. Also, she just has great delivery. Yeah, and I was gonna bring that one up too. Yeah, you punched yeah. me in the boob. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah. good. She, I I can't it it the the. The thing about the casting throughout this movie is that I just can't imagine anybody else in these roles. That's where like I get you get to the to the the Kadianagi twins and it's like there's there like I don't know, you could have just put anybody in there. That's where mm-hmm. like to me that's where those characters get get sort of the the short shrift, right? Yeah. Um is that is that like everybody else like is perfect but then again in the comics uh scott doesn't actually fight them they build a robot and he fights the robot so like they don't really have characters either in the way that everybody else does so it's it is one of those things of like and they're not they're not really characters in the comics either so it's you know if you're gonna if if you're gonna um if you're gonna gloss over anybody it's them but I mean, um, yeah, I mean, they're as important as that they're, you know, part of the axis, but they're not yeah. like it, it's I mean, and you also got to kind of um, pick and choose what kind of makes it into the movie. I mean, the movie is almost is already almost pressing two hours anyway. I yeah. mean, there's a full there's a full mall se- uh, thing with uh, knives and Ramona, I believe um that doesn't that's a big part of the book that doesn't make it into the movie mm-hmm. so, well i mean the the whole uh, here's here's the real thing the 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 books are like it's actually sort of a five-act story right mm-hmm. it's six yep. volumes i think but but it's but it's really a five-act story and the fourth act is entirely missing from this from the film right because mm-hmm. the the fourth act is um at, at the end of the third act everything kind of falls apart 
and uh, uh, Scott's like at his lowest point, and he goes he goes home like he got not not he can't go home because his parents have moved away, right? Like they've moved mm-hmm. somewhere else out of the city, but he goes and like stays with them for a little while, and then he comes back to Toronto. He gets a job. He sort of starts to get his life together, mm-hmm. and then as he's getting his life together, everything starts to kind of come back. Right. Uh, And that none of that happens in, in the movie for obvious reasons of like, you're saying, you know, it's all, it's already pushing two hours and how much it, there's a, there's a very fine line with this film of like, you got to kind of get in and get out. You have to keep the pace breakneck because if we stop for too long, you're going to realize how absurd some of this is and that some of those plot points actually, uh, they don't, it's not that they don't make sense that it's just like, don't stop and think about this too much. Right. Like I, I, cause at the end of the day, the story of Scott Pilgrim isn't, it's not, it's not a real story. It's, it's a like sort of distorted memory of a time in, in your life um, where you think that you're the main character of your story. You think that you're the hero uh, mm-hmm. and, and everything is a metaphor <laughs> for something else. <laughs> right. So like, I mean like right down to the very end of the movie, he faces himself um, yeah. and, and mythically, like from a mythic storytelling perspective, it's so great. It's, it is actually the thing that so many heroes journey stories, they, they, they falter on right at the end, which is that in order for the hero to really overcome, uh, the darkness and evil and all that sort of thing, be, become like a true hero that you, you have to eat your shadow. Like you have to get to that point where like you face the darkest part of yourself and you don't destroy it. You reintegrate it into yourself. Mm-hmm. And Scott does at the end, right? Like, <laughs> like when they walk out and they're just talking about French toast and, uh, and, and they're like, what? And he's like, Oh no, he's, we were just kind of hanging out. He's, uh, he's actually, he's actually a pretty good guy. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot in common, right? Like it's, it's, it's a joke. It's a gag, but, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a direct like metaphor. Like it's a, it's like, Absolutely. it's a very heavy metaphor, but, but it is like mythically speaking, it's this perfect way of showing that like, Oh no, he went through everything that he went through and he's now like integrated. He's not just, um, cause I think this is what people want. People want, uh, Luke Skywalker to just be the best. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then you get to, to the last Jedi and everybody's mad because they think that by the end of return of the Jedi, Luke Skywalker is a superhero. And it's like, but that's actually like, you've missed the point of that story. If you think that that's who Luke is at the end of return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Right. And the last Jedi comes along and corrects that, that perception, you know, whether people like that or no, not. Thank you. I, I totally agree. I, I, really love yeah. last jedi so thank you for that yeah yeah um understanding what ryan johnson's going for yeah absolutely well i mean like hey I, if ryan johnson is wrong then i don't want to be right like because yeah. his movies that's a whole other thing here's 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 a statement that i'm gonna make that's a bit of a tangent ryan johnson hasn't released a movie yet that isn't a perfect 10 like that absolutely agree absolutely agree 
like there, like look, Steven Spielberg, a lot of perfect tens. George Lucas, mm-hmm. handful of perfect tens. Ron Howard, there's some perfect tens there. You know, Scorsese, right? Like we can oh, grab sure. anybody and go like, yeah. there are perfect tens. There are also some real stinkers in their oeuvres, right? Like there mm-hmm. are also some very bad movies, and there are some middling movies, and there are some missteps in you know producing and that sort of thing. Like they they put out so much stuff. Not everything can be great. Mm-hmm. And then there's Ryan Johnson. Everything that he's touched is pretty much perfect. It's, and I have been standing obnoxious. on the mountaintop for Ryan yeah. Johnson ever since I was a video star clerk and picked up Brick. Yeah. And went, holy hell, this is the new master of cinema. This is the new, like, like the, the names you're dropping. This is the new Scorsese. This is the new, yeah. like, like, and there's something really special about how his mind works when it comes to film and modern cinema and blending everything that came before and, and creating the future within it too. And all the way up into glass onion, like every single one and a special shout out to brothers bloom because nobody freaking talks about it anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, it it, like that it's his perfect tens all the way down. It's insane. Absolutely. Um, But anyways, like, like (laughs) going back to Scott Pilgrim, like, yeah, like it, it, when you when you kind of go back through and you and 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 you you examine all of it sort of with that um sort of the Joseph Campbell hero with a thousand faces lens i uh, it's funny because it on the surface doesn't feel like it follows the hero's journey but when you start to break it down you're like ah oh, there is it's it it is like there are aspects of it where you're like is does it cuz does he is there any refusal of the call and it's like no the whole first like 15 minutes of the movie is him refusing. He's been refusing mm-hmm. the call. We, we come into the story in media res. It's already his hero's journey has already begun. He, yeah. Um, he because literally the, does with the email. Yeah. Like he yeah, literally exactly. just, nah, you like, yeah. literally says it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I, I, it's there, but it's almost like it's, it's very subversive. And I, like, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't expect Edgar Wright to make a movie about a hero without understanding the hero's journey and and figuring that out um, in relation to how he's going to tell this story. So it's all there. Um, But because so much of the metaphor is heavy handed, it, it like comes across in this very juvenile way Mm -hmm. but then like when you step back and you kind of look at it you're like what these metaphors are actually really apt um Mm -hmm. it's just that like at that time in your life when you're in your 20s everything feels that way right like everything feels like it's uh dramatic and heightened and like you know the end of the world or the greatest thing ever right there's no there's there's no in between <laughs> there's no, no middle path when you're you know between 20 and 25 <laughs> everything Absolutely. is is the best or the worst and and that's the way that it is and that's the way that this movie presents it right um you're either you're either not a fighter or you are a an anime superhero right like that's <laughs> like it's like it's yep. just binaries with this um and yeah, it, yeah, I, I mean, like I could go on and on and on about that sort of thing forever. But I, I, but yeah, it, it, it it's just to me, it is, it, it is like the quintessential perfect comic book movie mm-hmm. for all of those reasons. It just, it nails 
all of these aspects. Um, well, I've talked a lot. I've talked a lot, and I want you to talk some more. Well, so it's, it's funny though because I think we both came to this um, to the Scott to Scott Pilgrim from different sides because um, mm-hmm. I I mean you got the the comic book store side of it and then i you know i'm a video store clerk guy one of your yeah. i worked with one of your uh, previous guests tyler uh yeah. at like at rogers video and for years and stuff and my conduit into scott pilgrim was knowing that edgar wright was going to be adapting this as his third movie which is freaking ambitious i didn't know how ambitious it was until i started reading the books because as soon as i found out that these were the book these what this is what he was going to do i picked up all the books mm-hmm. and i was like how the hell is he going to make this into a co- cohesive coherent movie because <laughs> yeah. it really does look dauntingly unfilmable yeah when you're breaking it all down but I mean, I don't know how how deep you've gone on on the behind the scene features and stuff like that when it comes to Scott Pilgrim's, but all the previs stuff and all like working out, uh, um, just kind of uh, blocking of scenes and everything. There's there's even one direct scene where Knives is cut, goes to uh, Wallace and and Scott's place to see Scott, and Wallace says he's not there, and then Scott jumps out the window behind him. There's actually, um, you probably find it on YouTube. There's a video of Edgar Wright standing in for Wallace and kind of doing the, you see his green screens and the cardboard cutouts and everything and they're blocking stuff. So it's like, I wonder what was going through Edgar Wright's head as he was reading the books. Yeah. And if he was, because obviously he was making all these shots in his mind. He was kind of storyboarding in his mind and and then, of course, he works so closely with Brian Lee O'Malley on making this movie because I believe Brian uh, Brian was on set for a lot of it, mm-hmm. if not all of it. And yeah, he was very, very heavily involved, super hands on, which is an attest a total testament to to Edgar being like he he wanted he didn't want sole ownership over this. He wanted to tell Brian's story mm-hmm. that Brian had created and that it gained so much popularity. And I, I mean, just ultimate love to, to Edgar Wright forever for for having that amount of reverence for not just the not just the product, but the creator himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if that doesn't endear you as a as a filmmaker and as a person, then I don't know. I don't know what will. Um, and it's just so uh, because, like you said before, like Oni Press for the people that read comics, they know Oni Press. But Oni Press is not going to be on the same level, um, popularity wise, as Marvel or DC, um, yeah. and to another extent, Image. Um, but it's going to be on on the level of like other stuff that people that the comic book readers know, like Avatar or. Um, boom studios or kind of something like that um and it's kind of unfortunate that it that this movie didn't boost only press more uh into people's minds and into kind of your casual reader um because there's so much cool stuff within only press that that people should check out and I, even with brian leo malley's work like snot girl is really freaking good and people should mm-hmm. read that 
Um, again, <laughs> one that I could never see being made into a movie because it just feels so dauntingly unfilmable. Um, yeah. But as far as like as far as calling it the perfect a perfect 10 of a comic book movie. It really is because it is the greatest representation from, from page to screen. And like you were talking about Batman and Iron Man, all these things. Well, the, those stories are are largely going to be amalgamations of, of all the years of story that's come before it. This is one focus story. And usually when a director picks up something like this, they take liberties and they change a lot of stuff. They change stuff, which they didn't, they don't personally connect with, which maybe somebody connected with when they read it. Um, And I think that is kind of, that is kind of the pitfall with, with a lot of them. I mean, there's only a few that I feel like there were kind of direct representations. History of violence felt like a kind of a direct representation of the graphic novel. Um, But I don't think any one of them has done better than Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I just wish that it was way more successful when they, when it came out. But I mean, it was up against the expendables, which was opening that weekend and eat, pray, love two genre films, um, which are looking to make more money. I, I mean, they, they trounced Scott Pilgrim and it, and it was also at a time where, where inception was still playing in theaters yeah. Um, like it's, it's unfortunate. It, I, I think, I think one of the things with Scott Pilgrim is that it's a few years ahead of its time. Absolutely. I, I, because Edgar Wright has always been a few years ahead of everybody else. Um, I, yeah. cause it, you're like, it feels like every you, film of his has been like, yeah. When you his... think about when, when Shaun of the dead came out and you compare it to other like comedies of that moment, it's like, Oh yeah no like we look at it now and it's like of course right but at the time it was like it it was almost like revolutionary in the way that things were presented though like the the sort of like meta geekiness it's uh because like like this is like i look at like when it comes to the meta comedy conversation i look at mm-hmm. com- uh, community as like the the moment when when that sort of like peaked and became you know, everything that comes after community is just doing a worse version of community. It's like, <laughs> like Dan Harmon was watching everybody else do this stuff and figuring it out and going like, okay, this is how we're going to do it. Um, even like, and I, when I say that, I even mean like the last season, last two seasons really of community are almost like parodies of community, but even this is the genius of Dan Harmon, not to get into a different perfect 10 again, but <laughs> I, I, cause community community is my favorite TV show of all time, but cause it's a cheat. When you say that community is your favorite TV show of all time, you get to say that all TV is your favorite TV show of all time because community is just everything that's ever been on TV all in one show, including that's by fair. the end of it, referencing back to itself and making fun of itself in, in the final seasons. Right. Um, I to it because that has two final seasons because they thought that season like the last two it, it it's a whole thing again <laughs> I got to save this for an actual community episode yeah but, um but sure. yeah like I like I look at that and I look at what Edgar Wright does and I look at them like they're they are on the same level what what Dan Harmon does for TV with Community and Rick and Morty um Edgar Wright does in film right so yeah yeah 
And he's just like, he's just a few years ahead of that. Just like a couple years ahead of that. Um, Cause I remember Shaun of the dead coming out and, and it being like, like an underground sort of thing. Right. It's like, Oh, it's this British movie. Um, and it's like, it's a zombie movie, but it's like, which was, it's a, it's a big, it's a big thing right now, but it's like, but it's not really a zombie movie. <laughs> like no. what it is. Like it's, it's a romance. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it yeah. It's actually a bit of like a romantic comedy between these two dudes uh, which all three of those movies in the Cornetto trilogy yes. are romantic comedies about two dudes. Absolutely. I, I, but at the same time, all three of those movies are perfect representations of their genre while simultaneously being subversive to those genres by virtue of the fact that they're not about the genre. It's a setting, right? He uses them as backdrops. And it's so funny. Cause like, you you would think that going into Scott Pilgrim, oh, he's going to do the same thing. And then he like 180s and is like, no, no, this is just straight up what it is. Right. Like there's I mean, Scott Pilgrim as a comic book, I think, is subversive of like comic books because mm-hmm. because of its meta nature. Anything that's meta just by virtue of being meta is subversive because it's postmodern. Right. So it's like it's it is turning the mirror back on yourself and going like look at this stupid thing that we all like <laughs> isn't it isn't it dumb that we all think that this is cool but while simultaneously being like but it is kind of the coolest thing ever you guys like uh, and scott pilgrim it just like it it 110% nails that it like when when matthew patel starts singing and the characters <laughs> in the movie like essentially turn to the audience and go, what the hell is happening right now? (laughs) But then, but then like, it's perfect. Like it's also, it's also awesome and great. And it's a cool moment. He starts shooting fireballs and it's this great fight scene and you get that KO moment. And you're like, this is about the coolest that it can get at the same time as being like, this is super, super campy, super cheesy. Um, and so like wink at the camera sort of like, Hey, do you, are you guys in on the joke? But, but the thing is, is that like, we are all in on the joke. So, mm-hmm. and, and I, I think that that sort of the audience wasn't quite ready for that yet. They just weren't right. It's and, and, and again, this is the same time period community came out in 2009 mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm the first two seasons of community did not land with audiences on a, on, on like a wide scale. It wasn't until years later. Yeah. On, on streaming platforms that people started to realize like going into like the third and fourth season um, as people like, like started hearing about it and going back and watching it, that people started to like pick up on like the genius of the show. And so there's a lot of stuff. There's a, there's a, it, meta is almost passe now right like i feel like we're kind of on the other side of it where we're coming out of that and we're getting back into more sincere storytelling mm-hmm. um but like there was a there there like it's funny to think about it right now in this moment that there was a point in time where the audience really wasn't ready for like the general audience really wasn't ready for meta stories like self-referential yeah. meta narratives 
and and now it's like it's so commonplace that we're kind of done with it right it's mm-hmm. kind of kind of for the for the time being i feel like we've we, the the problem with meta and it's one of those words the more you say it the, the less meaning it has mm-hmm, but the, mm-hmm. the problem with meta as like a, a a style choice is that at a certain point and it's kind of where we're at right now when all you're doing is referencing stuff that came before mm-hmm. and not creating anything new eventually you run out of gas right yep. like like there's only there's only so much eating of the the snake's tail that it can do before it just blips into non-existence and we're kind of getting there and that's why i think we're starting to see like more original concepts start to start to crop up um yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in the last that. couple of years <clears throat> stuff that's like oh cool that's re- that's really awesome um, we're not done with it yet. I mean, like we've got Willow on Disney Plus right now, which is a very, very oh. metatextual series, and I love it so much. You're you're uh, spelling out my the rest of my evening after this is. Oh, uh, dude, yeah, I, I have it, one more episode. So, oh, nice, nice, nice. Yeah. I, I, um, I I've been sitting on the first seven episodes. I saw the first seven episodes in November, and yeah, I've been waiting I, so and waiting. I got I got screeners as well, and I got to. I finished the fourth episode and I started the fifth one and I stopped because because Disney sends me stuff from doing Star Wars podcasts for so long. They just right. send me stuff and they don't they never pay attention to whether or not you actually cover it. I know that because I say it on podcasts and then like they they still keep sending me stuff. Um <laughs> So I know that they're not listening to what I'm saying. I'm in a I'm in a real sweet spot there of like I get the screeners, but well, they don't pay enough attention to me to like that I have to actually watch them and like do, write reviews and whatever. Yeah, because it's not my job. It's, it's just a hobby, right? So, yeah. um, I watched the first four episodes and was like, this is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. And then started the fifth one and was like, no, I can't do this. I can't. I can't burn through all of these things in two days like all of these episodes in two days i need to hold some of this back (laughs) and also i wanted to talk about it so bad Mm -hmm. because that's how i do my thing is like i converse with people um about these things and it was like i don't know who's who else has access to these Mm -hmm. i wish that i had known that you did because we could have talked about them i burned through them all with my big email address as my watermark across the screen yeah 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 i went through um So yeah, like I, uh, I, uh, I, I like from from five forward. It's been I've been there every week with everybody else. Oh, yeah, which has been fantastic because then like those cliffhangers feel so much better. Yeah, you just have to sit with them for a week. It that is a show that like it's so good. We're we're on a wicked tangent here. We super are. We super. And I'll are. tell you, I'll tell you something. I it, that I recorded. Uh, the first episode of rebel cells for the season two of bad batch last oh, night. Okay. Which I've started as well. I am four episodes into that. Um, and I, uh, so. yeah, yeah. And I, I, we did like, I, I, it's gotta be in a two hour episode. I think that we talked for almost 30 minutes about Willow <laughs> on that one as well. Cause I'm just like, a, I'm so in love with it that I can't stop it's, talking about it. But yeah, it's all so well put together, but at the end of the day, give me Borman. Constantly. Yeah. Oh my God. Like the, he just, uh, uh, Amr Chata Patel needs to be in everything. Absolutely. He, like, like put the, find somewhere in the MCU to stick this guy. So that we can see him 
like in a recurring role for the next 10 years Absolutely. in the MCU. Right. It's, That's anytime, anytime I see somebody that I like, I'm like, put them in the MCU. Cause if yeah. you put them in the MCU, then they have a job for the next 10 years. Yeah, exactly. Right. right? Yeah. But, in, yeah. Indian Jones. He, I, I love yeah. that dude. I really love that. He is, dude. he is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, anyways, go watch Willow everybody. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, it, it, but it, it's, it, but, just to go back to what we were talking about, like, like Scott Pilgrim is really like on the, it's, it's the, the crest of the wave, uh, for, for that meta, uh, self-referential, um, you know, like, like, like it's, it's, it's the nostalgia thing, but it's also, it's not even so much. The nostalgia plays a really big part in it, but it's, it's, it works and it's not, a cheap shot because it is representative of a generation, right? Absolutely. Like the having all the Zelda sound effects in the movie and oh, um yes. I you know like 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 musical cues from other video games. I I the baseline for fan, Final Fantasy 2. Yeah, exactly. Um it's a it 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 very firmly places it not just not just that it's life in your twenties, but it is very specifically like that. It It is very, very specifically gen X millennial mm-hmm. cuspers, which mm-hmm. is, which I think we're both there. Right. So yeah. Yeah. like it's, it's, you know, if you're either on the, the tail end of gen X or the, or the, the, the crest of, of millennial. Um, I think that like, that's your sweet spot of like, yeah, you played the NES when mm-hmm. it was new. Yeah, <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um, I and and so like it it's a it it places it in time um not in a way that dates it but just it, I mean the phones definitely man phones oh boy <laughs> that's a whole that's a whole topic landlines what yeah yeah um <laughs> yeah the fact that Scott does not have a the, it's so smart like just the writing of the of the the story both on the comic and the movie is so smart that scott it's never really explored in the movie it's explored extensively in the comic but mm-hmm. like the fact that at the beginning of this he has no job so he has no phone everybody else has phones right but he doesn't because he's scott pilgrim so he's just like he's just in this in this this weird uh uh limbo uh, uh liminal space of his life <laughs> which all of us i think maybe not all of us but a lot of us <laughs> in our 20s fi- find ourselves in like these spots of like i don't know what i'm doing yeah <laughs> i really don't know where i'm going and i i the fact that he has no cell phone because that <laughs> that time period it was possible to not have a cell phone mm-hmm. nowadays. Like I can't imagine somebody it's, not having a mobile yeah. phone. It's like, well, how do, how, how do I get a hold of you? Right. Like, cause, cause homing pigeon? like, what do you, yeah. Like, how do you check your email? How right. do you check social media? How do you text message? You have to have these things. Um, yeah. It's so funny. It's, it is, it is very much of a, of a period of time. I wonder what, the staying power of it as as a, a a film can be as a result of that right like yeah that's a good question and i think it comes down to um the people that love it 
mm-hmm. listeners out there um, who, who are following along and, and geek out just as much as we do about it to indoctrinate your children and family with it. I've already <laughs> done it with my daughter. She she's enjoying it. I she dug it from the eight bit universal opening. Let, yeah, let's be yeah. honest, because kids kids are I, I mean with with like Roblox and this other stuff, they're kind of digging on all those the old eight bit stuff, sixteen bit stuff. Like they're kind of yeah. into that weirdly. There, I, I mean, Zelda still massive. Um, Sonic still big, even with two great movies. Sonic still big on its own. Um, yeah. There, there are just uh, there are things that will just live on, and so I think Scott Pilgrim, just because it it does such a good job of being an interloper in that kind of sense, um, you can pair it with something and be like, hey you might find meaning in this like I did. And it's, it could be for the same exact reasons. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, Yeah. It's, it is funny how like that, that 16 bit, eight bit stuff Mm -hmm. has come back around for a new generation because, (laughs) because we all got to the age where we're in charge of making the stuff. And so that's what we made was were like these retro throwbacks and it hit the next generation in their most impressionable phase. And so now they have are starting to have nostalgia. Like this generation is, is having nostalgia for when they were younger and they were playing the retro games, the yeah. retro styled games yeah. that our generation was making. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's so um, weird. It's, it's funny how cyclical that is. We yeah. see it's, it's a funny thing because you see it in fashion, right? Where like, Obviously, the 90s are back in style right now. And when the 90s come back in style, because it's a 30-year cycle, right? Mm-hmm. So when when the 90s come back in style, it that also means that the 60s are back in style at the same yeah. time. Yeah, because does. in the 90s, everything was 60s retro, right? Like yeah. it was it was all this like this mid-century, like late mid-century um, retro I, I, that led into the early 2000s, which was all the 70s throwback stuff. Mm-hmm. So get yeah. ready for that because that's yeah, all exactly. coming back. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's and it's it's just it's funny because it, like every generation, it kind of goes through a filter. I wonder if if Scott Pilgrim is something that will ever be remade, if it will ever happen again. I th- th- I think that's one of the things about it that like the reason why it didn't sort of have that that staying power is that it just, it, it kind of like defies franchisability, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not a star war or a Spider-Man or a Batman sort of thing where we can, uh, we can just make these stories in perpetuity. Like it has a very definitive beginning, middle and end, and it has to, in order for the story to work, right? Like these characters aren't characters that we want to, stay in stasis in perpetuity. The whole point of the story of Scott Pilgrim is that he starts in a place of not being the greatest and ends in a place of, of more completeness, right? Like ready for the next stage of his life. Um, if that doesn't happen in your Scott Pilgrim story, you're not telling the Scott Pilgrim story. It's it's, it is actually the point. So um, yeah. Cause it's one of those things where like aesthetically you look at it and you go, wouldn't this be a great animated series? But then it's like, I don't want to, 
I don't want to just like live in, you know, 10 seasons of Scott being a useless Mm -hmm. uh, sad sack sort of character. Right. Like that's not that's not the point. The 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 video game fights are not the point. No. Right. Um, they are definitely the fun of of the the series, but but of of like the concept, but it's not the point of it. And without that, there's there's no. It's like people were like, why didn't they make this into like? There's six books. Why didn't they make it into a trilogy of movies or something like that? It's like because it wouldn't you it wouldn't work. I just don't think that it would work over that period of time that it would take to make three movies, right? I, like yeah. It, I, I think if you stretch out Scott's character, you have the danger of him becoming unlikable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just doing it like this, he's never not likable. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's like what I was saying before about the pacing, right? You, we we kind of have to get in and get out because the, the voiceover and the motion graphics and the, the, the style of the dialogue, it actually has a time limit on it. <laughs> yeah and it's like at a certain point no different than like a wes anderson movie does right like like when i sit down to watch a wes anderson movie i know what i'm getting myself into and it's like okay you know like like one ticket please and and i'm on the ride for that two hours but when i walk out of it and go watch something else it's like uh, i can you know like a wes anderson movie every three or four years is fine uh <laughs> if they if all movies were like that it would get really tiresome but it's nice it's you can only be the quirky one if you only show up every once in a while nobody wants to hang out with the quirky guy every single day all day uh it's uh it gets to be about much <laughs> so mm-hmm. um yeah i think that like that the, this movie like fits in that in that same sort of a. Uh, you know the you know like the the that indie film um sensibility definitely of of, of yeah of the 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 oddball sort of aspect of it it it's yeah. it's the connecting tissue that goes through all of edgar's films mm. it has a sensibility that feels indie to it but it is emulating or um knocking on the door of blockbuster yeah, like they all. I mean, I, I mean, Scott, Scott Pilgrim. I mean, uh, sorry, Shaun of the Dead. You know, is, is knocking on that horror comedy door, that horror door with the comedy edge. Hot Fuzz yeah. is your Point Break, um, yeah. buddy cop movie with the comedy edge, and you know, Baby Driver, same thing. Baby Driver, I think, has more of a dramatic edge to it. Um, and then like World's End is your you know, spoiler alert, your alien invasion movie with yeah. a comedy edge. But they're all big, yeah. but they have like the way he's making these films are that indie sensibility are those because coming from making movies with your friends for like nothing. But making them yeah. big. Yeah. Yeah, it's I it, um Ed, Edgar Wright is almost like the more polished Kevin Smith. And that's not a slight on Kevin Smith in the least, because I like I mm-hmm. really like the rough edge on Kevin Smith's stuff that like I even like like Clerks Three, it's like look, these guys have no business being the leads in anything. Mm-hmm. And yet I love the characters and I, and that, that movie was fantastic. Right. Yeah. Well, Um, and full disclosure and for everybody listening, I bawled my eyes out multiple times in that movie. I, Oh yeah. 
cried, you know, and I, I maybe it's just like getting in, you know, getting older and stuff like that. I, I am not scared to get emotional in movies, but it's, it, it, it seems kind of nutty that I'm like, yeah, Clerks three, and and I mean, how much Kevin Smith means to me, um, because I wouldn't be sitting here podcasting with you right now if it wasn't for Kevin Smith and the Smodcast and the Smodcast Network and everything, because that's what inspired yeah. me on the journey of being a podcaster. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, maybe I'm biased, but I, I think even if you're not biased, you're still, I mean, man, the, the, he knows how to play that heartstring in, in, in the, <laughs> in, in this third movie. And yeah. I think it's just because of how much hit of him, and his heart and his soul he, is he in into it. the film yeah. and, and you feel yeah. it, you feel it. And that's, I th- and I think like, that's, that's sort of the difference there. Right. Like Edgar mm-hmm. Wright yeah. makes these like indie feeling movies, the same, very similar to Kevin Smith's movies, but in a way that like, Oh, they like this, this almost seems like it's a polished studio film, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it's kind of got that vibe. And then, and then Kevin Smith's movies are just like, um, it's literally just like, it's just him on the screen, you know, like he just puts himself into everything. And to me, that's what connects. But I, I like, there's a sincerity there that, that, uh, that, that, that I just love. Um, Even, even in his weirder stuff, like Tusk, it's still, it's still there. I will admit it took two viewings for me to see the, see the full appeal of Tusk, but Oh yeah, I was there on day one. Oh my god, Tusk <laughs> is—it's a masterpiece. But uh, Justin uh, Long, yeah. So anyways, great. anyway, yeah. So good. So <laughs> also, good. Uh, that's a plug for Barbarian, I guess too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that yet. Oh my um, god! But you, I, I mean, you obviously have Disney Plus. So yeah, yeah. Watch it. That that's. That's yeah, your assignment, okay. Michael. That's your assignment. <laughs> I will do it. It's that's one of those ones where it's like it's difficult to find the moment because my wife does not like uh, horror. thriller yeah, I, horror I, I, stuff. I so I got in the same. I got to watch it by yeah. myself. And I got my my yeah. my kids are substantially younger than yours, so like I've got to yeah. I got I got to be careful and make sure that like nobody's going to be awake when he's <laughs> around. Definitely, um, uh, definitely, uh, and especially with this like one that. because it is mighty screwed up. Yeah, it, I, that's I got that sense from the trailer. When when a horror trailer literally shows you nothing, you yeah, know yeah, that exactly. it's like it's gonna go some places, right? Like, it's, you yeah. Imagine the guy cutting the trailer in the editing suite, just sweating, just sweating, sweating so bad. <laughs> like, how am I gonna do this? Yeah, yeah. How do I get? What can I show? Movie? What can I? What can yeah. I show, Zach? What can I? What can I show? Ah, yeah. how do I? do this <laughs> um awesome uh, look i hey i think i think we did it i think i think yes. that we talked about scott pilgrim we, we i think that we've made a case for it as a perfect 10 um I, yeah, I, i'd be, I, I'd be hard pressed for anybody to argue against us um maybe edgar uh, and, maybe if edgar wright could actually listen to this and argue us <laughs> or or give us yeah. his constructive feedback I would probably faint, but I mean, you know, <laughs> if Edgar Wright just like acknowledged that I am a, a human being that exists, um, that would be, <laughs> same. that would be more than I ever need. Same, like, same. Oh, <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's senpai noticed me sort of uh, moment. Um, awesome. 
Uh, well, thank you so much, Steve, for coming on the podcast, talking about Scott Pilgrim. Yes. Uh, amongst many other things that we delved <laughs> into. Obviously, we have a lot more perfect tens that we can come back and talk about. Oh I God. think that that is very clear from this yes. conversation. Yes. So so definitely come back uh, sometime. I would, and, I would love and, to. You know, start start thinking about what that next one is. I'm sure oh. you already know. Yeah. Oh, I, no worries. <laughs> yeah. 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 We won't run out. We won't run out. Um, awesome. Where can people check you out if they want to if they want to hear more from you? Yeah. Uh, on Twitter, I am uh, at the Stevel Dead. Um, also on Instagram at the same. Um, I implore everybody to make a letterboxed account and, and join that and search me up there. Steve Stebbing. Uh, it is possibly my favorite being a movie guy. It's possibly my favorite social media that's out there. Um, there's an unpaid version that you can do. And then there's a pro version. I, I totally recommend it. Um, and then you can find me on, uh, the shift every Thursday night, uh, at 11 PM Pacific time, uh, on any chorus radio network. If you're in Vancouver at CKNW, um, and that's at 11 PM, uh, and uh shane hewitt's awesome it's i've been kind of giving him a movie education which has always been funny because he's not a movie guy and then he brings Mm -hmm. on he's i I was kind of grandfathered onto the show when drex left and uh so he's not really a movie guy but he's becoming a movie guy in his own way so it's kind of like i'm like oh you're doing it yes (laughs) uh i also do uh the uh tremble the horror podcast uh with my friends kurt and taylor uh kurt uh does it for the uh three angry nerds network and he invited me to be a co-host on it and i've been doing that for a couple years now so being a horror guy I'm super excited about doing that show all the time. Some movies are way better than others, but uh, check out the catalog because we've done a crap ton of them. So uh, yeah, check those out. Um, And then my website, stevestebbing.ca, and I kind of uh, update that with uh, everything that I've seen in the week um, and uh, everything that I brought to the shift that week. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Awesome. Uh, well, everybody go check out all of Steve's stuff and, uh, and obviously I, I, you know, check out if this is your first episode of perfect 10, go back and listen to, uh, to, to some of the earlier ones. Um, I I'll go ahead and recommend my favorite episode of the ones that we've recorded so far, which is, uh, uh, a night's tale with Ty black. I, that is an episode that like, I still think about our conversation about that movie on a regular basis. Cause that is such a great film. Um, mm-hmm. and Ty is such a genius of a human being. Um, and she's actually going to be on forced perspectives with me um, sometime towards the end of this month. I, I say that because uh, we're going to talk about Willow. Uh, we're going to do like a full series recap. I was going to do weekly episodes and then I got sick for the same reason that this one was delayed. I, I just wasn't able to, to get back on that schedule and, um, and do the, do the weekly coverage. Um, so because of that, I'm going to make it up to everybody on force that listens to force perspectives that was waiting for that by getting Ty to come on and talk about Willow, um, uh, the whole season, but it probably won't be in like the next week or so. Cause they, I, there's a rumor that there's going to be like when they do the Marvel ones uh, and like the star Wars stuff, it's like usually like the week or two weeks after they do the behind the scenes assemble, they, they drop the, the, yeah, like the, 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 and then their Disney gallery when it's the star Wars ones. Right. Oh, right, um, right, right, right. 
So I, I, so we're really banking that they're going to have something. Cause I expect that John Kasdan, mm-hmm. who loves to talk about his own stuff and be very like candid about what he puts into his stories. Um, if, if they, if they are going to put that out, like they'll probably tell us in the next day or two. Um, we're recording this the night of the night. I mean, at midnight in actually in less than two hours, the finale uh, will premiere on Disney plus. Um, but I, I, as we're recording this, right. And so hopefully next week we're going to get, we're going to get that behind the scenes. And so then I don't know, by the time everybody's listening to this, probably like next week or the week after Ty and I are going to be talking about Willow on Force Perspective. So look forward to that. Make sure that you're subscribed to that feed. Um, like I already said, Rebel Cells is back up. Um, we're going to have weekly episodes covering Bad Batch with me, Joe and Kyle. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And, uh, and, and yeah, I also, every two weeks, I uh, put out an episode of off the record, which is the Patreon exclusive podcast. It's just me. It's just a solo podcast where I just talk about, it's usually like the last thing that I saw, the last thing that I was excited about. So this most recent one that I put out, uh, last Monday was, um, I talked about Willow a lot, (laughs) big surprise. I am so in love with the show. It's ridiculous. It's, so it's actually kind of annoying. I'm even annoying myself at this point, <laughs> but, uh, but also I'm not cause I love it so much. Uh, but I also talked about, I talked about avatar, the way of water and I, I, yeah, I, I, and how much I loved that movie and, uh, and the fact that like, I think I accidentally may have made avatar, my daughter's star Wars. Um, <laughs> So if you want to hear more about that, you can head over to patreon.com slash thunderquack and get the get off the record at the $5 level and above. Um, so yeah, go check that out. I uh, that is it for this episode of Perfect Ten. Once again, thank you so much, Steve, for for coming on and uh, we'll have you back soon. Uh, and uh, I I don't know who the next guest is, but I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and say I I think it might be Marie Claire Gould from What the Force again because she really wants to come on and talk about Stardust, and I'm down for it because yeah I, I I it's a great movie, um awesome I that is it thank you guys for listening and we will catch you on the next episode. Thunderquack Perfect Ten is hosted by me Michael Cohen. Follow us on Twitter at ThunderQuackPod, on Instagram at ThunderQuackPodcast, on Facebook at ThunderQuack, and join us on Discord at ThunderQuack.com Discord. Support the podcast by heading to Patreon.com ThunderQuack to get early access, bonus episodes, and the ThunderQuack Perfect 10 pop quiz. ThunderQuack Perfect 10 is part of the ThunderQuack Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.